This is the City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. We pray that this ministry draws you closer to Christ Jesus and to live a life that brings glory to God. This week's message is about dealing with conflict while walking in love. Pastor Harlan Purdy takes us to the book of Acts chapter 6 to illustrate that less than five years from its inception, the church finds itself in conflict. What causes conflict? How can we address the issue of conflict while maintaining a relationship of godly love? When the inevitable conflict arises between believers, the answer is found in the Word of God. Conflict. Now, I I, I know that I'm probably the only one in this room today that has ever experienced conflict. You, you have no idea what I'm talking about when I use the word conflict. It's, it's, a, it's a foreign language, right? Conflict is one of those things that, that we like to avoid. We think of it usually in very negative terms. We, we understand conflict oftentimes from a place of discomfort, uh, from a place where we want to, to move away from it and avoid it, if at all possible. But the truth of the matter is, is conflict is, is one of those things that we can never avoid. If you're engaged in any kind of a relationship with another human being, I can promise you that at some point there will be conflict. And I will tell you this, if you, if you moved to a desert island and lived all by yourself, you would encounter conflict. You don't believe me, do you? How could I fight with myself? How many of you have ever fought with yourself? Oh, I've got a few on. You see, conflict, conflict is simply this. Two options. Whenever you have two options, you have conflict. So you think to yourself, should I go out for lunch or should I stay home? It's conflict. You've got two options. And it isn't with somebody else. It's in yourself. You've got to figure it out. Do I go? You say, but that's not. Yes, it is. That's really conflict. Conflict is whenever you have two options and you have to make a choice. Conflict comes from many sources. It exists wherever and whenever two options are presented to us. Believe it or not, the church experiences conflict. I've been pastoring for a few years. And I can tell you, churches experience conflict. Do you know that within the period of of five years or less of the initial Pentecost, when, when Peter stood and preached the first gospel sermon, and people were converted to Jesus Christ and filled with His Spirit, less than five years after that event, the church finds itself embroiled in conflict. Did you know that? Some of you are shaking your head. Yes, I knew that. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. 
Let's look at our text. I'm going to get you to stand with me as we read the Word of God this morning. I want to read from verses 1 to 7. And, and, and this event, most people, when you look at the book of Acts and try to put together some kind of chronology, it would appear that, that what we're reading in this passage is occurring somewhere within the first five years of the church's life. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests came, became obedient to the faith. May the Lord bless his word to us today in Jesus' name. You may be seated. This is the month of February. It's, 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 it's the month of Valentine's Day, and, and we've been talking about relationships and, and, and marriage, and what we want to talk about today applies to the broad spectrum of relationships, whether it's the relationship between yourself and your spouse, between parents and children, or even amongst children, or siblings, between, between siblings and, and their parents, between co-workers, between employers and employees, even within the context of members of a congregation. What we're going to talk about this morning is relevant to us and it has impact for our lives because in all of those relationships we can and probably will experience conflict. Now, Elena and I celebrated our fifth anniversary last July. We will celebrate our sixth anniversary this July. And she will tell you that it's been the most glorious five and a half years of her entire life. <laughs> it's been complete, absolute peace, tranquility. <laughs> At least for me it has. <laughs> How many days was it before we had our first little... <laughs> we'll keep that our secret, okay? We'll, yeah. You see, it's just, it's, it's just the reality of life that we will occasionally find ourselves with two different opinions, 
two different positions. And, and, and conflict arises, and conflict can, can be all across the scale of severity. And, and, and what we're going to talk about this morning, building from what we see in this text, relates to all of them. Because if, if you allow a conflict, even a very mild one, to go unresolved, it can become a very major one over time. So let's take a look and, and let's consider the church's first conflict that we find in this passage of Scripture. The, the conflict arises. Well, how does it arise? Well, it, it arises over the issue of ministering to the widows. The, the church was growing rapidly. At this particular time, the church is centered in Jerusalem and they recognized and understood that caring for the neglected was important. They understood that part of Jesus' teaching called the church to care for orphans and widows, for those who were struggling, those who were in difficulty, and that was part of the responsibility of the church. And so they were engaged in that. The problem was is that there was an entire group of widows that were being neglected. At that particular time, the, the church was made up primarily of Jewish people or Jewish converts. But there were two groups of Hebrew people. There were the Hebrew Jews and there were the Greek Jews. There were the Jews that had been born in Israel and, and, and in, the, in the territory around Jerusalem. And, and Hebrew or Aramaic was their mother language. But then there was an entire other group of, of Jewish people that had grown up outside of Israel in the diaspora, but they had come back. Some of them had come back because of a Pentecostal celebration, and so the Hel they're called Hellenistic Jews, which simply means that they were Jewish people that grew up in the Greek-speaking part, part of the Roman Empire. So there were two groups of people. And those that were of the Grecian background were being neglected. In, in the daily food distribution, these Grecian widows were not receiving their portion. Benevolence in the church was important. James, James 1 and 27, tells us that the care of orphans and widows is important. The Word of God tells us that the care of orphans and widows is, is pure religion. And so the care of benevolence, it was happening, but there was a problem. If we look at the book of Acts, we discover that almost immediately in its life it began this benevolent ministry. Ananias and Sapphira, the first disciplinary action in the church is, is related to benevolence. Believers were, were recognizing their obligation, and so believers were, were giving. Some people were selling all of their property and, and giving their resources to the church so that benevolence could take place, so that everyone would have enough. So we see that the church was fully engaged, it, it was fully committed to benevolent care. 
But these Grecian widows are being excluded. Now, it's interesting to look at the text because the text uses the word overlooked or neglected. And if you look at the text carefully, the text indicates that, that this was an error. It was an oversight. It doesn't seem to have been a deliberate action. It doesn't seem to have any racial overtones to it, which is something that, that sometimes we could assume because it's Greek widows and Hebrew widows, that maybe it has to do with, with ethnic conflict. But the text doesn't lead us down that road. It simply says that there was a group of people that were not being properly considered in the distribution that was taking place, and the need was brought to the attention of the apostles. Now, the text is a very brief description of this event. It doesn't give us much detail. It doesn't consider that we need much detail. But it does tell us that the apostles, the twelve, gathered all of the disciples together. They, they met and they discussed and they looked at the situation and then they came with a solution. And the solution was this. Identify seven persons who are filled with the Spirit and wisdom. So the criteria was to be filled with the Spirit and to be a wise person. The number seven is interesting because seven in, in Hebrew thinking and in the Jewish mind is the perfect number. So what they are saying is, is we think it's going to take seven people to do this well. And you pick the right seven. The, the, the seven that you pick are going to need to be people who are full of the Spirit and they have wisdom. Why do they need wisdom? Well, because they, they need to figure out how to get this distribution. They need to put the plan together. They need to figure out how to get the food from where it is to where it needs to be. So they need to be wise. They need to be able to know how to lead. They need to be able to know how to manage people. The seven are given the responsibility over the distribution and to make certain that everyone is cared for. So, what does that mean to me? Well, you see, the problem continues in the 21st century. The, the issue that's at stake here, although it may not be exactly the same issue, the issue of benevolence, the issue of meeting needs, the, the issue of caring for people, the, the issue of management, if you will, continues to be a relevant thing for the 21st century. We are part of a church. Now, we've just announced this morning that the second Sunday in March, March the 13th, we're going to begin two morning services. Now, the reason for that is, is because if we don't, we can't grow anymore. We're already full. Uh, did you notice how many children left? Now take a look and see how many empty seats there are. Just take a look, look around. Just take a look. 
There are a lot more children that went out than empty seats that are left. That means that children were sitting on parents' laps or two children sitting on the same seat. And we're still pretty full, right? So if another 40 people decided they wanted to come and attend service, they'd have trouble getting a seat, right? We can't put more seats in here. We can't knock out the wall. Victoria Properties would get a little upset if we tried to tear down the wall. and So we're kind of stuck with the space we have. So the alternative was, was well, let's try two morning services. And so we've, we've put out a survey, and, and you responded. Over a hundred responses. And based on those responses, it has kind of indicated that the best division is a 9.30 service and an 11.30 service. So we're going to try it for three months or so, and then we'll do an evaluation. That's an administrative response to a very real problem. The problem is, is that we, we, we believe in preaching the gospel. Oy. I'm not overly convinced. We believe in preaching the gospel. And the gospel is for who? Everyone. Well, if we want everyone to be able to get in and hear it. Now, we preach the gospel more than in here, don't we? We preach it out there. But when we preach it out there and they respond to it out there, we want to bring them in here so that we can disciple them. Well, if we're going to disciple them, we have to be able to get them in. So the only way we can do that is by increasing potential attendance. And the only way we can do that is by moving to double services. So, you see, the issue that, that the first church faced early in their life will be faced by the church until Jesus comes. It will be through different areas of, of difficulty, different things that will need to be solved. Here we have an administrative conflict with an administrative response and solution. We have administrative challenges at City Pentecostal Church, managing the resources, making sure that distribution and recipients are, are cared for. It, it's never simple. It's always challenging. And so I say to you this morning, do you have the gift of mercy? Well, we need people with the gift of mercy who will become part of our benevolent ministry team. I know, what, I know what it is. I'm not going to say amen because he's looking and if he hears me say amen, they're going to be asking me to serve on this ministry team. Amen. <laughs> you see, we all have been given by the Holy Spirit spiritual gifts. We all have been given by God natural gifts and natural talents and natural abilities. 
You don't want me up here on the music ministry team. <laughs> that was a little soft. You don't want me up here on the music ministry team. <laughs> yeah, even on bass. Yeah, it's, it's, anyway, yeah. Um, you see, that's not my gifting. And no one of us are gifted in everything, but we do have gifts, and those gifts are to be employed in becoming part of the solutions to the needs that exist in the church and in life. So can I challenge you? If you have the gift of generosity, then giving. We need people who have the gift of service, the gift of administration to help with our ushering teams, our greeters, our taking care of the generator. We have a group of people that have to come. Let me ask you this. Should the pastor have to be here early enough to put the generator out, set it up, make sure that it's running so that if the power goes off, we can have electricity to run the equipment. There should be a team for that, right? We should have a team for that. And, and you know, you don't have to have a degree to do it. So please... Begin to think about where is my gifting and how can I exercise that in, in the body of Christ so that the church will be able to respond effectively to the conflicts that arise. Because every time a need presents itself, it's a conflict. We have to respond to it. And if we respond to it well, nobody knows anything about it. Nobody knows anything about it when we respond well. But when we respond poorly, everybody knows. And it creates tensions and all of these kinds of things. So let's, let's pay attention to what the early church did. And the same is true in our workplace. The same is true in our homes. You know, we, we, we are in Malawi right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but let me jump into this anyway. In Malawi, we are facing some critical issues, food shortages, etc. The rains have been, have been bad, and we've been praying for rain. But that's not enough. It's not enough. Food shortages is not a 2016 problem, is it? Was it a problem last year? Yeah. The year before? I've been in Malawi since 2000, well, January 2011. And every year I hear the same thing, food shortages. Has the church been praying? Absolutely. Do we need to pray? Absolutely. But you know what? We also need to be looking for some ways that we can help to change the situation. What are some things that can be done that we as a church can rise up and begin to empower and enable people to do that will make a difference in the food shortage problem? Now, I don't have the answers yet, 
But I am convinced that we have people in this congregation that can come together and say, Pastor, there's something we can do. We can teach this, or we can enable that, or we can come alongside so that this can happen, or that can happen. Folks, we, we need to put some, well, my, my, my father would say, we need to put some boot leather to the situation. It means that you've got to get out and do something. You know, my father would say to me, son, wear out some boot leather. That pile of buoys needs to be moved. What he was telling was, get out, start moving it. Don't talk about moving it, just go and do it. We need to get some boots on the ground that will help make a difference in some of these situations. And that's true wherever we find conflict, whether it's in our home, in our workplace, in our community. We need to be prepared to take action. Because you see, whenever a conflict arises, there are five possible responses. Oh, the clock is killing me here. Five possible responses. You can yield. Just simply give up. Surrender. If you're in conflict with another person, if you're in conflict with your spouse, you can simply say, you win. just, Just yield. Give up. You can withdraw. You can withdraw from the situation. You can either physically or mentally. Have you ever had somebody just kind of mentally turn off on you? Have you ever just mentally turned off on somebody? Yeah. That's, that's withdrawing. We can, we can decide in the midst of conflict that we're going to win. I like this one. I'm a competitor. Put me down at a, at a table with a chessboard and whoever sits on the other side. I don't care who they are. I'm going to play to win. My, my, my daughter was three years old, and I was teaching her how to play snakes and ladders. I played to win. <laughs> my, my wife said to me, Harlan, what are you doing? Let her win. I said, no. If I let her win, she'll soon figure it out, and she won't want to play anymore. Besides... I play to win, and she needs to learn how to lose. (laughs) It's a good life lesson. My natural tendency when conflict arises is to go to battle. And I, I have, that's not a good thing in conflict. Winning is not what matters. Some people deal with compromise. I've, I've, I've heard people say for as far back as I can remember, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. No, it isn't. Marriage is a 100-100% proposition. It's both partners giving 100%, not 50-50. You see, the problem with compromise is this. You all know what compromise is, right? You give up some things to get something. But in a compromise, how many of you have ever been in a compromise solution? 
You've solved a problem through compromise. I can guarantee you, whether it's in the workplace and, and the employees have been negotiating with the employer for some things and they've compromised. The employees feel like they got a bad deal and the employers feel like they got a bad deal because in compromise, everybody believes they gave up more than they got. What we need to do is get to the fifth possibility, which is to resolve. That's exactly what they did here in this text. It's what we need to do in our families. It's what we need to do in our marriage. So how do we resolve conflict? Let me go through this very quickly, because I don't have time. Number one, listen carefully. Proverbs 18 and 13. James 1 and 19 says, be quick to hear, slow to speak. We need to learn how to listen to one another. Husbands need to learn how to listen to their wives. Not a single amen. Aye. Husbands, give yourselves a good hand. You must be good listeners. Hallelujah. Wives need to learn how to listen to their husbands. <laughs> you know what we tend to do generally when we're in conversation with someone? When, when the other person is speaking, we're thinking about what we're going to say. We're not really listening. So we need to learn, we need to develop the system of listening. I, I have a technique that I use with, with marriage couples sometimes, is I get them to, to go home and take the newspaper and, and look at one of the articles that's on the third page of the newspaper, usually the third page, because they're not, they're not quite as, as volatile as the first page uh, subjects. And, or I'll send them to the sports page, unless they're really fanatical sports fans, you know. And I'll say, I, I want you to take 10 minutes, and I, and I want you to do this. You take turns. You, the first day, the husband goes first, the next day, the wife goes first. Or the first day, the wife goes first. The next day, the husband goes first. And what you do is this. You, you take the article and you make a statement about what you think about that particular issue. And after you've finished making your statement, then the person, your, your spouse, will say back to you what you said. Not necessarily in exactly the same words, but they will give back to you the content of what you said before they can make a statement. And I said, you have to be fair. Okay? You have to be fair. That when they really are saying what you said, you, you, you say, yes, that's what, I, that's what I said, that's what I meant. Because oftentimes we don't realize how hard it is to listen. You all know how hard it is because you have to listen to me. <laughs> Choose a right time. Proverbs 15 and 23. There's a, there's a right time. So people try to solve problems sometimes when, when they've got five minutes. 
Not many problems can be solved in five minutes. Maybe the one where you're thinking, should I eat at home or should I go out to lunch? That's easy for me, because I'm just out to lunch anyway. So I always go out to lunch, right? That's just who I am. I'm, I'm out to lunch. Um, so I've been told from time to time. Um, clearly, define the problem. Oftentimes, what we think we are in conflict about is not what we are actually in conflict about. So we need to, in conversation, clearly define what the problem is. Number four, we need to find areas of agreement. We will always have some place of agreement to start from, unless things are really deteriorated. Number five, identify your contribution to the problem. You see, oftentimes the difficulty with us is, is that we really want to put the blame on the other person. You see, I know that whenever I'm in conflict with anything or anybody, that it's always their fault. Right? It's never my fault. But isn't that oftentimes how we think or how we respond is, is that we, we, we want to make sure the other person knows what they did wrong. If we're going to really get to resolution, we have to focus on what is my part to the problem. What have I contributed to the problem and face it clearly and be honest about it. Then we need to identify all of the potential solutions. Let's get all of the possibilities on the table. I think that's what the disciples did when, when they sat down, when they pulled the, 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 uh, the disciples together, the, the, the 12 or 11 apostles. They, they, they talked amongst themselves and they said, well, what are the possible solutions? And there could have been several. One solution could have been, well, we just stop feeding everybody. That's a possible solution, right? Is it a possible solution? Now, I know what you're thinking. It's not a good one. Well, you know, I didn't say just get the good solutions. Think about all of the possible solutions. Get them on the table. Identify what the possible solutions are. Then you evaluate each solution. You evaluate it from every perspective you can from a financial perspective, from a logical perspective, from, from an administrative perspective, what, all of the different perspectives. Evaluate them because very quickly some of the, the, the possible solutions are going to be seen as not realistic. It's just not realistic. It, the resources aren't there to do it. Etc., etc. And so you can eliminate those quite quickly. And then you can find yourself to where you have two or three options that are good options. And as you evaluate them and you clearly look at them, then you can identify the one that is best and has the ability to be done. Find the solution, and this works whether it's between a husband and a wife, 
between parents and children, between employers and employees. Now, I've just taken you through, in five minutes, what I teach in a course over 13 weeks. <laughs> I teach a course for the master's level students in conflict management and resolution. This works. Whether it's a church, a congregation, this is what we do when we sit in the boardroom. We, we, we look at these, we evaluate this way. This is, this is how we as a pastoral staff, when we sit down and we, we look at the issues, this is how we work through them. We, we go through this. Which solution is workable? And the last step, often the step that we fail to take, especially in marriage, actually do it. Actually do it. Begin to implement the solution. Begin to put it in practice. Folks, if we're going to have strong families, if we're going to have strong marriages, we need to recognize that conflict is not our enemy. Conflict is something that will inevitably arise. It doesn't matter how much you love each other. You, you will encounter conflict as a married couple. I'm a pastor. I mean, I'm about as spiritual as they get. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ordained. I, I, I've been revved up. You know, I have I put Rev in front of my name. I, I I've been to seminary. I've been I, I I'm Reverend Doctor. I have conflict in my marriage. Don't ask Glenn. We we have we encounter conflict. Conflict's not a bad thing. Conflict is an opportunity for growth. Whether we're a congregation, a family, a company, workplace, conflict is an opportunity for us to sit down and find positive, healthy ways forward. Look at what it says about this early church. This, this situation could have split the church. Could have split the church between Aramaic-speaking Jews and Greek-speaking Jews, and they could have just gone opposite directions. Within the first five years, the church would have been split. Could have. But what happens? Because they come together, and they resolve the issue. A bright new day is found. Same thing happens in Acts chapter 15. A bright new future comes into existence and the church grows because they came together and they acknowledged that there was an issue and they worked to resolve it. Love is about resolving our differences. 
they will exist in every relationship. But we can resolve them if we follow the pattern that we just laid out, working at it. Will you stand with me this morning? I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to bow right where you are. And I'm going to ask you to look into your life and ask yourself this question. Are there any conflicts in my life? Is there a conflict in my marriage? A conflict in my family? A conflict relating to my work? A conflict relating to my friendships? Conflict relating to any area of my life? And if the answer is yes, would you pray this prayer, Lord, help me? Give me the wisdom I need to implement resolution. If you've been trying to win or you've been just yielding or ignoring or trying to run away from, even trying to find a compromise, we ask the Lord to forgive you and to help you to move away from that response to the conflict to come to the place where you will engage in conflict resolution in your life work towards resolving will you strengthen your relationships in that way Heavenly Father we're standing in your presence this morning. Some of us are currently experiencing conflict and some have experienced it in the past and we probably all will should Jesus tarry at some point in the future. Lord, help us to be wise like the early church was. Help us to be wise and come together. And with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the power of your word, work together to find good resolutions, healthy resolutions, workable resolutions. Help us, Lord, to move past the place of just letting conflicts go whatever way they go, but to bring health and wholeness and strength because conflicts are being resolved and better days are being discovered because of the strength that comes out of resolved conflicts help us to recognize Lord that sometimes a conflict comes into our life not not to hinder us but to act as a springboard forward to something new and fresh and exciting that that you want to bring about Bless your people this morning. They've been gracious. And I pray in the name of Jesus that your hand would rest powerfully upon their lives and that your blessing would flow abundantly 
toward them. May the light of Christ illuminate their path. May the word of God illuminate their way. May they go forward in the power of the Spirit and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and may we see the kingdom of God advanced in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Cause His face to shine upon you. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Next week's message is the final installment of the February series, The Four Pillars to Strengthening Relationships, where Pastor Harlan Purdy will be talking about communication in the sermon titled, Get It Said Well. Also look forward to our March sermons, The Way of the Cross. It will encourage us to see that the cross is necessary for our future, and it is the way for all Christians.
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Hallelujah. There are lots of new ministries, activities, and events happening at City Pentecostal Church. So we encourage you to visit our website to learn more about how you can get involved. Visit us at citypentecostal.church.